It's a low-tech uh, sermon, so listen uh, to the Word of God. John 1, verses 35 to 42. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now I'll read one more time, and if you were looking at somebody pretty, this time everybody close your eyes. Try to hear God's voice. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter.
Grant us this morning. Increasing views of you, Lord Jesus. Give us growing vision to see who you are, to see who we are, to hear what you say to us, to act like we've been with God, Draw our minds to you from whatever directions, from whatever lists and tasks and frets and worries and things and people. Make your voice either soft enough where we can't miss you or loud enough where we pay attention. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Epiphany is a moment or a season in the church calendar, in the liturgical calendar that comes after Christmas. The church calendar or the liturgical calendar actually has today as uh, the, the Sunday of Epiphany. Christmas actually just ends today. In the church calendar, uh, it does not comport with the annual calendar where Christmas Day is the end of Christmas season. Christmas season actually ends with the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany is a season, uh, a word, a moment that means appearing or spotting or sighting of Jesus Christ. It is the end of Christmas, which is the Christian's beginning. Advent is the beginning of the new year for the Christian. And Epiphany is the beginning after the beginning. It is the season after the incarnation where Jesus comes and the season where we underline and highlight the appearing of Jesus as the Son of God, the noticing of Jesus as who he is in his presentation to the world. And one of the ways that we can learn about Jesus, that we can um, attend to Jesus as he presents himself to us and to the world is by paying attention to the questions of Jesus. I've said this uh, once or twice before, that the questions that Jesus uh, presents to us, offers us, asks us, is a picture of the spiritual life in a question. There are certainly other ways for us to get to know who Jesus is, to get to know what Jesus is about, but, 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 but life with God can be captured if we were to search the scriptures in a question that says it all. We could start with that aged and deeply troubling question that God asks Adam in the beginning, where are you? 
God, on the smoky side of a, of a Midian desert, asks Moses a question. What's in your hand? To his people, God asks Israel in the first part of the Bible, why do you want a king? Isaiah the prophet, echoing a question between one person in the Trinity to another, overhears God asking God a question, who will go for us? To Peter, Jesus asks, do you love me? And to Paul, Jesus asks, why are you persecuting me? Over and over in the word of God, life with God, life right now with God can be captured in a question. And our text has a similar question. John's Gospel, verses before our passage, opens with a word-centered focus. We see words in the earlier part of chapter 1 like light and like testify uh, and, and, and glory. And John the Baptist, the forerunner, comes on the scene talking about who he is and who he's not. He, he points his disciples to the one to come, the Messiah, the one to come. And the one to come he calls the Lamb of God. When his disciples see their teacher pointing out Jesus, in verses 35 and 36, they leave John and they follow Jesus. In Jesus, they see the person that they have been readying themselves to meet. They see him, uh, the one they've prepared their souls to encounter, and they follow him. And their following him is refreshing to me, a man who's trying to follow him. They leave John in order to attach to Jesus. They are bold, they are courageous in leaving who they know, in leaving what's familiar to them, and what happens when they go and they start spending time with the Lamb of God, he asks them a question. Some of us this morning are used to a God who tells us things. Some of us are used. And I grew up, uh, I grew up in a church where God talked to everybody, where God told everybody things all the time. So, so I'm real used to God, uh, God talking and telling. Uh, now it's a joke to me because I'm up on the opposite end where I, it's harder for me actually to believe you when you say God told you something. And it's just odd because I, I'm sort of suspicious of a God now who tells people things, especially God telling you something all the time. But I propose, even with my suspicions, I, I propose to us this morning as we ready ourselves for epiphany, this time where we meet with God, where Christ appears to us, even in our worship service, that God will sometimes refrain from telling you things to ask you a question. God may not make proclamations, but interrogations. God may not state things to us, but may investigate things in us. So let's look to 
this question of Jesus. And then I'll sit down. This is an essentially grounding question for followers of Jesus. What do you want? Notice, if you have an open Bible or if you have a phone and John 1, 35 through 42 is up and not the text to the person you were trying to make eyes with earlier. Notice, Jesus asks this question and the two disciples don't give him an answer. He asks, what do you want? And they ask him, where are you staying? Now, there's a whole sermon, maybe for Pastor Peter to preach, in how we trade the questions of God for our own questions. How we give God's questions very little space in our hearts and how we try to stuff our things before him. Jesus doesn't retract his interest. He doesn't press. His unanswered question stays between them. And the text invites them and invites us to turn our ears toward this unanswered question of Jesus. I think we all have matters which Jesus has opened up for us, opened up for our discussion, even while we've cowered away and chosen to move toward other things hoping that God has forgotten his question. We want to talk to Jesus about where he's headed, and Jesus has brought up the matter of our desires. We want to talk about direction and movement, and Jesus has talked about our interiority, our insides. One of the traps of the religious life, and I mean that in the spiritual sense, one of the traps of the religious life is separating ourselves from our desires as if Jesus is not interested in them. As if we could actually separate them. Jesus, if John is correct, is concerned about our desires. Jesus asks about what's Moving our hearts. Do you believe it when you read it in John? There is an unanswered question between God in Christ and these two disciples. And I think there are unanswered questions between Christ and you. Christ and me. I don't know what yours is, but I think we all have old, open issues with God, old open accounts with God. I used to work uh, in a church in a role sort of like our church chair, our church treasurer, our church administrator, and a pastor in one. It was, I can't use that word, it was chaotic. Uh, um, and, And among other things people would call on me for is they would they would call me especially early in the role they would call me when the church had an open invoice when there was a bill that was not paid um, they got to know me really well because there were a lot of bills at that point were that weren't paid and there were open matters open questions and they needed a plan an answer a strategy 
Some of you have lent money to family members and um, you have, have made the generous mistake of lending people money who were friends or relatives and it took you, uh, the police, hunting dogs and a threat from the Department of Justice to try to get them uh, to give you your money back. There was an open matter between you. God, too, has open matters with us. We may well think that all God wants is for us to travel with Him, to go with Him, to journey with Him, but God is as concerned about what's happening in our hearts. Ultimately, God is at the work of heart transformation. This life, your life, my life, is not about getting our things and moving to where Jesus is and packing our little bags and sending the post office a forwarding address. This life, your life, my life, is about our giving over our desires to God so that God can know us, love us, and transform Paul says we are to offer every part of ourselves as instruments of righteousness. We think first that God wants us to move when God really wants us to love. Does it make sense that you can travel with Jesus and not love? Do you know that, 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 that you can spend time with Jesus and not care? You've seen it maybe in somebody else's life that you can come to church and not be compassionate. You can be with God and not want God. So comes Jesus' question. What do you want? Are we afraid that Jesus can't take our answer? What do you want? Do we think that being vulnerable with God will get us punished? What do you want? Obviously, Jesus expects an answer. In its infancy, following Jesus is about the interaction between our wants and God's wants. What do you want is a framing question where our hearts show up in relation to God. Our wants frame what we need from God wherever we go with God. It may be a stretch to say this, and I, I can't really give you much of a rationale for this, which means I probably shouldn't say it, and I'm going to say it anyway because I say things that I can't explain. But, but, but I think that God's whole purpose is about giving us our best desires. I finished reading Stanley Hauerwas's 
the peaceable kingdom this week, and he said it's so much better than I could, and I'm not going to quote him because it's a low-tech Sunday, but he talks in that book about how God gives us our truest desires. Jesus is not so strong that he persists with his question in this text. He allows that if their question is so important that they can simply come. His invitation is gentle. He is not harsh or headstrong. He's God in flesh and he's hospitable to their question. He tells them, come and you will see. What do you want? Jesus asks. They say, We want to know where you live. He says, come and you will see. Consider, beloved, that Jesus is come and you will see. Is not his answer about them wanting to see where he lives. But Jesus is come and you will see is his answer to their being able to see what they really want. I ask you a question. It is between us as an unanswered, open matter with God. And I will show you the answer to the question. Come and you will see what kind of a Messiah I am. Come and you will see how my reign is a direct and persistent challenge to the kingdoms of every other ruler. Come and you will see my regular long reach of liberation for the bound and justice for the poor. Spend a day with me and you will see that the kingdom I lead will inevitably transform you and the world for God's sake. Come and you will see is not Jesus' alternative. It is his answer. It is not Jesus caving to their better question. Come and you will see is Jesus' answer For them. This question is so powerful because he extends to them and to us as we read and listen to this text God's purpose as granting our heart's desires. Not not necessarily the Christmas stuff. Christmas was a few days ago. How many of you uh, got what you wanted on Christmas? Wave your hand. Participate in the sermon. Wave your hand at me. Okay. Put your hands down. How many of you didn't get what you want uh, for Christmas? Wave your hand. Participate in the sermon. Don't be disobedient. Okay. How many of you didn't get anything, as far as you can tell, for Christmas? (laughs) Hilarious because I saw your wife answer her uh, answer. um, um, I didn't call you out. I didn't say your name. I'm just looking in the general area. Jesus' question lingers because it's it's really too deep to throw some kind of cop out question. Now, if I asked my son, who 
is on his way to five, and Dan is not looking good for the kid. I just, um, it's, uh, my wife threatened his life today. I suppose that might need to be edited, depend on how the week goes, okay, Matt? Uh, and Dan, if I call you, just answer the phone, okay? <clears throat> I'm talking about bail. If I call you, just answer. Um, for Dawn, not for me, because I wouldn't threaten him, not verbally, where, you know, there's proof. But uh, if I were to ask Bryce, the little gift of God that we prayed for, that he is, Three weeks ago, what do you want? He would have a long list, and he did. He had his list. And I suppose if I asked you face-to-face what you want, you would have your list, and you might start with some of your personal stuff, some practical stuff. You might start with the family concern, get a little more noble, and think about social questions and things that you want to see happen in the world things that you want to be different this year uh, that uh, weren't different last year. But But if I were to stop you and say, yeah, keep answering or just wait a bit, it would take some time to get deeper, to think really about where your heart is and what it is you are really after. It would take a little time. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're seeking to understand your role at work or at school for correcting injustice at work or at school, does come and you will see begin to answer. Do you want to see how God can use your hands to be hands that heal sickness, infirmity, that bless people? Come and you will see, begin to answer that deep question. Do you want to know how God will set your life on fire this year? Come and you will see, begin to open up how glory can look in you and in us. Jesus' words are words of promise. What might they mean for us? Three things, three quick things, and I'm finished. Number one, Jesus comes after our desires. When following Jesus, our desires don't diminish, but, but they actually increase. They become more critical. Our desires uh, aren't downgraded when we follow Jesus. They're actually underlined when we follow Jesus. This passage suggests that our truest desires have yet to occur to us until we follow the Lamb of God. He appeals to our wants and he satisfies them. Here you thought you had an answer to that question. As we get closer to Jesus, we get closer to what our hearts want, and Jesus comes after our desires. Number two, Jesus wants us to follow him. 
Following requires uh, patience because some revelations of God in Christ take time. And, 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 and Jesus very seldom exposes everything about himself when you first meet him. Not many people will tell you their entire story when you first meet them. We have labels for people like that. Uh, and Jesus is not one of those people. When he meets these two, John is the one talking about who he is. Jesus is kind of cool. He's in the cut. He's, he's not exposing his whole story. He's not trying to tell you everything about him. He's, he's, he's almost a little too distant. He doesn't even begin to truly answer their question. He just says, come. And that takes patience. With a Savior like that who won't tell you everything you want to know when you ask it, that takes patience, and that patience leads to faithfulness. These two walked with him long enough to notice who he was and long enough to return home transformed. This morning, Jamie Lynn was praying, and she said something in her prayer She said, Lord, let every visitor who comes, let everyone who comes know that we're here because of you. And she said that, and I wanted to write it down. Because because that language, that prayer is following Jesus. That language, that prayer, is what we go home with, what we go to work with, what we go home with in our own solitude, in our loneliness, what we go to our friendships with, what we go to the rest of our lives with, and say, I am here because of Jesus. I'm at this job or I'm at this non-job. I'm serving and volunteering. I'm here because I'm following Jesus. I am here behind him. Jesus comes after our desires. Jesus wants us to follow him. Lastly, Jesus will change us. We are named individually, but we're changed as a people. Uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, has a name and a relation. And he goes... And he starts spreading the change and transformation that Jesus has done in him to other folks. He brings back his brother, who he knows will be interested in the Messiah, and explains to him who Jesus is. We found the Messiah. And he brings Simon back. And Simon is changed. And like these two, these two and then the two brothers, we are called by Jesus to come and we are so claimed by him that we return with a necessary story to tell others and we return, some of us with new names, we return with a testimony of having seen the appearing, the coming, the presentation of Jesus Christ. Like I asked you when I started, bow your heads. Grace, worship team, you all come on back. Close your eyes. And in just a moment of quiet, even before Grace plays and I pray, 
Listen to what this means for you. Make it so, Lord Jesus, that we can sing full-throated. I will run. Mm. I don't know if I'm afraid to do it. I don't know if I've been burned when I last tried. I don't know if someone here just can't. Will you do what you always have done and make it so we can sing with integrity? Now, you have my Not her, not him, not them, not that, but you. Maybe later today I'll slip up and I'll fall and my heart will cave back in that last direction. But will you make it so I'm able, we're able to sing? I will. I'm not right now, but I will run to you. We can't go anywhere else. And so uh, the truth of the matter is everything else leaves the question still open. I know there are people here who aren't convinced that you satisfy our heart's desires. I'm not completely convinced myself. So you do the most work here and be who you always have been, always will be. The best option.